Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Okay, welcome back, everybody. This is the 37th COVID podcast based on the COVID echo. Yeah, so it's a summary. Summary. It's a good summary. So this was actually last Tuesday. So forgive the delay. Yeah, we're a little behind. A little behind. So it started out with Dr. Jerrica, Burge. (laughs) And it's uh, just taken, you know, it's taken me six months to remember how to say her name. And she had a little study that U of M is doing uh, about food insecurities and global disparities. And it's kind of a collaborative uh, thing with University, yeah, University of Minnesota Medical School in Peru. You know, what I was going to ask her when she was on is, do these people just know people all over the world that they just call them and be like, hey, we're going to do this study, or do you want to do this study? Or how does that actually happen? Back to the talk. It's fascinating, though. So it was a study that really dealt with social vul- vulnerabilities and... Uh, Basically, the whole thing is they're trying to do a study to figure out, are there different things that would put you more at high risk? So they're trying to be more proactive versus reactive when it comes to COVID um, globally or, you know, applied to other people who have um, disparities and whatnot locally, too. So pretty interesting. At some point, we'll get the results of some of that study. There you go. They just do so many. It's crazy that they can come up with a new one every week. She's probably making it. I'm just drawing things out of a hat. Okay, anyway, sorry. So then we kind of did this bizarre, we were waiting for Dr. Hick to come on. But the one thing that I thought was really interesting out of just that kind of discussion, waiting for him to get there, um, was when they were talking about BAM, um, the monoclonal antibodies. And we will come back to this in a little bit with, you know, whomever. But Again, this is the whole thing is that this needs to be given as an outpatient, as an infusion, super duper early on in the disease. So it's it's got to be a hard line, you know, and it's mostly the high-risk people, but really early on, okay, I lost my sense of smell. Do you get it then? Um, Probably too late. You know, it's it's like who did, you know, what do you, what do you know? So we were kind of talking about different outpatient management strategies that people across our state are using. And so some places, yes, they are using, bam, the monoclonal antibodies, and I'm not saying the word. And you can go to the HHS website to find out where the closest antibody infusion center is to you. And then we had Dr. John Hick, who is the uh, medical director of the kind of the pandemic response in Minnesota. He's been on a number of times. Mm-hmm. Used to be at the Schick. Well, I think he still is. Still at the shake. <laughs> but he's an ER doc from Hennepin. Yeah. And so he came back on to kind of give an update, and he's been pretty popular, and so it was good to have him back. And he talked a little bit about uh, initially the vaccine and kind of those different pools of people that are going to be up front getting it, including healthcare workers and, uh, and long-term care. Now, this is just to, to remember that this talk happened right before the FDA approved this officially. So we were kind of discussing. It was kind of implied or assumed that it was going to be appro- approved. But um, there was the question about pregnant and nursing moms. Um, he said he favored giving the vaccine to this population. 
um, commented on the larger proteins don't necessarily obviously cross the placenta. But again, this is a kind of risk-benefit thing, especially if it's a healthcare worker. It's going to be um, important. Yeah, and then he kind of moved on to some of the therapies coming down the pipe. And, of course, uh, there's a lot of emergency use stuff that is going to be approved, hopefully over the next six months. But by then, of course, we're going to be in probably a big downturn, hopefully. <laughs> probably. Uh, you know, uh, with, uh, They're talking about 100 million vaccinations by May. So I'm assuming there'll be less COVID, and especially in the high-risk people. So he did talk about, as far as treatments, again, away from the vaccine thing, but as far as treatments, and kind of talked about this Goldilocks treatment zone, which I found really interesting. And so this is that zone where you have like an early disease, and either you go to recovery or you go to bad. And so it's that that zone where you want to have a therapy target that area before it makes this horrible turn for the worst. But did comment how, like many viruses, this is a hard Hard thing. It's that point of no return. You want to get get a particular medicine in there before there's no chance. Correct. So, uh, and he talked a lot about how COVID kind of acts like a typical virus. You know, it's hard to pick that perfect time. Um, no, you didn't say that. I did. Um, but it takes a lot of finesse to kind of pinpoint when that is. Correct. You um, did not say that. I didn't say the word finesse. I just wrote it, but I didn't say that. But anyway, um, and did, again, point out dexamethasone remdesivir work a bit later beyond that zone, whereas the monoclonal antibodies are given early to kind of prevent a person from getting to the zone. Then there were some questions. Um, one of the questions was, if somebody's already on aspirin or they start aspirin um, versus do we need to switch them over to Lovenox? Um, you know, with this hypocoagulability and is there studies out there that show, no, you don't probably need to to switch off of the aspirin. But what he said is the most recent data and the most recent studies is still not um, the greatest where he'd, you know, not go a little bit more aggressive because of the hypercoagulable state with COVID. Yeah. And of course, metformin has been one of those drugs that everybody's talked about. And still, you know, it's a pretty specific population that probably helps and there hasn't really been much really extrapolated to, as to whether or not it's going to be good for everybody. There's ongoing studies, and I've right. actually seen some of those. Yeah, and Dr. Shacker did, and we'll talk about in a second, talk about that as well. Um, ivermectin, too early to tell, was this thing that Dr. Hick kind of, you know, kind of glossed over a little bit. Everybody Again, keeps this- coming back to ivermectin. I, it's weird. It's weird, but there is. People ask a lot of questions on the, on the Echo every time. Well, people, I think, want to find that weird med. Yep. So then we did, again, discuss the, the vaccine and Pfizer. You know, he the difficulty with Pfizer vaccine, of course, is this deep, deep, deep razor. Was it negative 90 degrees or something? It has to be. It's cold. And so, <laughs> and this is the tiered approach. Um, most of those high-risk healthcare workers is where they're going to kind of focus that. Um, some side effects, first injection, about 15% will have some type of side effect, um, you know, kind of aches and pain, just kind of you're feeling blah. After the second injection, about 40% of people will have some type of side effect to the point that he mentioned that you kind of have to do a stepwise um, vaccination even for your highest risk healthcare workers. Because if you gave it to every single ICU nurse on one day, you'd have a lot of people calling in sick the next day and you'd be in trouble. So um, yeah. stated that a lot of this is related to the histamine release and you can have severe myalgias, fevers as high as 104. Um, but he mentioned that it's not going to be recommended to get you know, antibody testing after I'm, I'm assuming that obviously in the studies, 
the people who are in the, the investigational studies, they will, but the general population, no. Yeah, and I think one of the interesting things is they're talking about a significant proportion of people are going to miss those days. So is that a personal day? Is that a sick day? Is that What is that? I've had friends who work at different organizations uh, wondering how that's going to be handled because it's going to be a significant amount of days out for people and staff. So interesting. So that's probably a facility issue. Facility <laughs> issue. Um, and when do you get that second vaccine? So the Pfizer, you're going to give it about three weeks later. The Moderma vaccine, about four weeks later. Of course, the Moderma vaccine, you don't have to have it quite as cold. Um, it's going to be spread out. I'm assuming more people are obviously going to be getting this Moderma vaccine just because of the ease of storing and transporting it. Um, again, would recommend it to pregnant people. And, you know, of course, the, the million-dollar question is how long is this effective? Is it, you know, you need this vaccine once in your life, or is it like an influenza vaccine you need every year um, or something like a tetanus? You need a booster every 10 years. So obviously nobody knows. But they're hoping because it's this new, newer technology, especially looking at the mRNA, um, it should hopefully be years, but that's in quotes. Mm. Hopefully, years. <laughs> so then he talked a little bit about what's happening, the, the case curves. Correct. And uh, <laughs> Do you want me to go through this since I wrote it? <laughs> you wrote it, and it's very confusing. I think that one of the interesting things is obviously following Thanksgiving, we saw a bump. We um, saw a bump. And it was going up prior to that, and it was just a worse bump. And actually, uh, when we talk, give the little thing on uh, our friend Mike Osterholm, he talked about that as well. So, you know, and this, this has been a, t- a, talk, a topic we've discussed way back since March, but, you know, people always try to make these prediction curves. And, of course, like, this is when you're going to have your peak in this area, and this is when you're going to have your peak. So the curves that they kind of predicted from a few weeks ago, especially with Thanksgiving and all that, um, the curves are worse than the reality, which is a good thing. Um, kind of states that right now we're in this plateau. However, even if it's a very if it's a similar outcome following Thanksgiving, following Christmas, January could still be a nightmare. Yeah. So it's it's reassuring because it's not the worst nightmare. It's just like a bad nightmare, I guess. Yeah, there's been a lot of questions too about the Dakotas and why are they declining when they did not, you know, do any any kind of shutdowns or anything, but uh, we'd let other people talk about that. Um, And if we talk about influenza, I think that's one of the big things is how interesting it's been that there's no influenza floating around. And and it's interesting because obviously COVID is traveling like crazy. And you would think that influenza, if people are getting together, would also be traveling very fast. But even at Hennepin County, they've had one case I think, you know, Australia, which obviously gets the influenza or gets influenza much sooner just based on, you know, the whole time of the year. Time of the year and how it spreads. They only had forty cases in the whole country for their season. And six of those were in dingoes. (laughs) That's not true. (laughs) And then three were in koalas or what? Yes. Uh, you know, and you know, he kind of attributed a lot of this to the social distancing and the masking. Um But if that was working, we wouldn't have COVID. But I think a lot of it's just that incubation period and that that um, spreadability, the silent spreaders, if you will, or the asymptomatic spreading, or this that whole time before you get symptoms. But anyway, yeah. Mm. So then he kind of moved into the, how our hospitals are doing in the state, and although capacity is high in the, in Minnesota, it's actually still okay. And uh, basically, keep masks are going to be here yeah. for a while. Wear masks. He 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 wanted to kind of finish up with that. Please, 
Wear your masks. Social distance. Keeps your face warm anyway. That's right. It actually works during the winter. I forgot to grab a mask when I ran into the grocery store one morning after a run, and I was like, oh, wait, I still have it on my gator from running. It was so nice. I've actually done that, too. I realized I had that on my neck. It's like, oh, I can pull this up. Right. All right. Well, so, next. On to Dr. Tim Shacker, one of my favorites. He says it like it is. I, I dig him. Um, can I say that? <laughs> yeah, he, he just really uh, he just really says it like it is, and it's just so interesting to to uh, to kind of listen to him. I think he's got quite a following now on our Echo Group. But he uh, started out by talking about how COVID is just this interesting disease of immune dysregulation, and that uh, we really have to somehow figure out a way how to modulate that. It just seems so and, easy. Yeah, <laughs> let's just throw cold water on it. Um, or rub some dirt on it, uh, but really, a Band-Aid he with talked a about. <laughs> yeah, he talked about one of these really interesting things about again the wastewater tracking and how uh, they just continue to do this twice a week in the state just to kind of see, you know, how it predicts what's going to happen in your community, and that's amazing. It's still just yeah. How do you? I don't know. It's just yeah. Well, it's I don't want to be the guy collecting. Yeah, I, <laughs> right. But according to this and what they've been noticing is we still haven't hit our peak in Minnesota, so that's a little bit of a Debbie Downer. Um, but it tries to find these hot spots. But again, it just seems to me it's still like after the fact, but I guess not. The good thing is, is they can quantify it, the amount of virus in the wastewater. Um, and we did bring up the whole septic thing because obviously, especially rural areas, a lot of people have septic, but they kind of realize that is a barrier. There's not much they can do about it. But do try to bank on the fact that people do go into town at least once in a while. However, yeah. I, I can't own... remember the last time I used a public bathroom. Yeah, I just, have a septic system. So. I, have a, I have a septic system to keep the government out of my business. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Come on, that sounded funny. So gross. Yeah, it's like nobody's coming here and checking that. Um, so yeah, I think <laughs> that's been really, I think that's been pretty funny. So then he kind of went into drugs. And not just any drugs, the drugs that are his favorite for COVID. I was going to say, can you, you know, clarify? Yep. So he just flat out said remdesivir. Yep. And then he moved on. Yeah. And he, he talked about how the, you know, the TNF inhibiting drugs, uh, you know, things like Humira and, and such, are those going to be kind of the go-to drug down the road? And I'm, and there are studies being done looking at that. Uh, and it's not, again, if we're going to go back to Dr. Hick and this Goldilocks zone, um, kind of more right after the zone you hit him with this maybe it can turn it back around so it's not quite perfect but they're hoping that these studies at least give a little bit of hope there yeah again uh he just basically said the same things that everyone's saying at this point is remdesivir dexamethasone uh and uh you know some of the old drugs that are being looked at of course metformin uh, ongoing studies, the TNF inhibitors. But I, my question with the whole metformin thing is they always mention this is, is better in women. Of course, we've read that study. How is it that it's only a TNF inhibitor in women, but not a TNF inhibitor in men? Yeah, it has something to do with testosterone. <laughs> or but, the, anyway. But anyway, the other, I did specifically ask him about, well, Actos. And uh, he said, huh? Uh, that's not one that's being used, and I or am aware studied. of one. I am aware of one study, but uh, that is one that is not being used. But is, is that study ongoing, or is that one that they're still trying to like get ready to start? Was, the last I looked, they hadn't started yet. The last I looked, it was started about a week ago. Interesting. It was supposed to. 
So then a lot, a couple of people did ask if we should talk about this, the fluvoxamine, the older antidepressant. Um, I, I liked what Hicks said. It was a study of, a design of study elegance. He just liked the way that the study was done. Um, was question if it, <laughs> if it helped with, you know, binding to cells and access into cells, but way too early to start throwing a, you know, hard to get antidepressant around. Yeah, to be Help clear, um, I just had an antibody checked and my antibody was negative. And uh, I have been in a study with one other uh, person, well, actually two other, uh, because uh, Dr. Noska is a Diet Mountain Dew drinker, as is Dr. Bell and myself. And to this day, none of us have gotten. Nope. And I believe that possibly that particular soft drink might be blocking something. Is that a far-fetched so, idea? So if anybody wants to actually do a study and pay us for it, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know where We're to find us. We're already taking the drug, so <laughs> it seems to be as good as Actos at preventing it. Okay. So then we moved on with Dr. Shacker to the whole vaccine thing. And he stated, you know, we think that even if you, now everybody should get both shots, but even after the first one, Within a couple of weeks, it should be some, you know, pretty effective, about 80% after the first dose. You know, it's kind of like the influenza vaccine. You're not 100% correct, you know, covered tomorrow. It does take a couple weeks to to really come for that immunity. And so it's the same thing, but it's quite effective after the first dose, but you do need the second one to get to that 95%. Mm. All right, I'll get the second one. I had rabies shots. That was like 11 the first night. I think two of these isn't going to kill me. It was like 18 shots. Oh, my gosh. How yeah. many tattoos do you have? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Darn bad. But anyway, so... And then you talked about just some of these others. You know, we hear about Pfizer and Moderma right now. There's other ones, Novavax, Johnson & Johnson, AstraZeneca. Um, they're not quite ready to release yet. He's thinking spring. Um, but this was super interesting to me, and it's this whole COVID vaccine. We'll kind of talk a little bit about it when we talk about Dr. Osterholm next week or, you know, as well. But the, the virus itself from, for coronavirus was actually sequenced way back in January, like January 16th to 17th or so. They knew the sequence of, you know, the RNA. I mean, that's pretty neat. Within a couple of days, they had already started to make vaccines. They had started trials within weeks. And so at least from his perspective, this technology, although there are other RNA vaccines, which we'll again talk about later, but this technology should help with other things into the future, just how fast they were able to kind of move on this. Mm. All right. You, sorry, that was a really... That was kind was of edu- tangent, editorializing. But, man, yeah. but I think that's just cool. So, again, uh, at some point as well, they're going to be studying all the people who've been vaccinated or recovered. Recovered uh, and pe- then got the vaccine. Or both. And so it's going to be a lot <laughs> of fun. I'm actually mixing up some vaccine here right now. Um and it, uh, it, it's, it's a citrus soft drink that I'll be injecting into Rias monkeys. No, that's not true either. Um, horses. <laughs> yeah, you know, I have horses. Yes, horses. Um, but some say this isn't gonna this this won't help if people have already had the disease and they get the vaccine. It it may not make much of a difference. And I I guess I think we're just gonna have to wait and see whether it augments it or not. Right. I I found that very interesting, and in you know I think. That's that's obviously studying. Is it going to go away and not do anything, or is it going to make it worse, or who knows? So, so again, we thank Dr. Tim Shacker from the University of Minnesota and Dr. Dr. John, John Hick. Hick from Hennepin County. They were fabulous. And Dr. Jerrica Burge, who's from the University of Minnesota, and uh, they, they put on a nice show. 
All right, so we will chat at you in a bit about Dr. Osterholm. When I was a little boy, I'd play outside with stones and sticks and hang upon your windowsill, wishing we could be. When you were a little girl, you wouldn't see that I exist. My knees would fail, my tongue be still, wishing we would meet. So wise, that's how a restless mind begins Stealing, drinking on the curb Forgetting we could be Loneliness is never far You slam the door into my chain How fortunate I've been tonight You finally know me Set them up and shoot them down. We could never be. 